Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. I'm your host and Bible guide, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. If you have your Bible with you, I'd love for you to open it now to Exodus chapter 35. The chapter begins in a very interesting way. Verse 1 says, Moses assembled all the congregation of the people of Israel and said to them, These are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. Six days work shall be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. Now, at first glance, this might feel like a misplaced paragraph, but it's not. If you have your Bible open in front of you, just flip back a couple of pages to Exodus 31, verses 12 to 18. This is the last thing written before the incident with the golden calf. What do you see? What you see is the exact same content you are seeing here in Exodus 35, 1 to 3. The Sabbath commandments were the last things given to Moses before the great interruption and disaster of Exodus 32. That was where the story jumped the rails. But here we see the disaster obliterated by covenant mediation and undeserved grace. By putting this content here, the Bible is saying that it is almost as if the incident with the golden calf never happened. We are back on track. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sin from us. He has cast our sins into the depths of the sea, and he remembers them no more. Thanks be to God. And so we start again, exactly where we left off. Moses repeats the Sabbath commandments and then moves forward to the next stage of the covenant adventure. Having received the law and the instructions, It is now time to construct the tabernacle. Remember, that was the piece of the plan that was in danger of being deleted. After the golden calf incident, God had offered power without presence. That is, he'd offered to send an angel, but not his presence. The people would go forward, but God would not go in their midst. The tabernacle would not be built because if God were to march in their midst, the people would have to be holy. That was the disaster that has now been averted. And so now what we see is the eagerness of the people in gathering the materials and deploying their gifts and skills toward the end of securing God's presence in their midst. That's what this story is about. And we jump back into the text at verse 4. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and stones for setting, for the ephod, and for the breastpiece. 
Let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded, the tabernacle, its tent and its covering, its hooks and its frames, its bars, its pillars and its bases, the ark with its poles, the mercy seat and the veil of the screen, the table with its poles and all its utensils and the bread of the presence, the lampstand also for the light with its utensils and its lamps and the oil for the light, and the altar of incense with its poles, and the anointing oil, and the fragrant incense, and the screen for the door at the door of the tabernacle, the altar of burnt offering with its grating of bronze, its poles, and all its utensils, the basin and its stand, the hangings of the court, its pillars and its bases, and the screen for the gate of the court, the pegs of the tabernacle, and the pegs of the court, and their cords, the finely worked garments for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his sons for their service as priests. So here Moses calls upon the people to contribute their talents and their treasure to the building of the tabernacle. It will take both. It will take talent, treasure, and time to build up the house of the Lord. And of course, the same is true today. To build up the house of the Lord in our day, we must all do our part. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So we all have gifts, spiritual and material, that were given to us by God for the common good. And the house of God will only be built up, and the work of God will only go forth as we offer those gifts generously and willingly as a response of faith to the grace of our redemption. And we see the response of the people here in verse 20. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses, and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. The people were so aware of God's grace toward them that they did not need to have their arms twisted. They didn't need to send the plates around a second time. Everyone was willing and even eager to give. J. Alec Matir says here, Where the heart is right and motives of personal consecration are at work, the purse strings get relaxed and problems of finance and supply are at an end. Closed quote. Indeed, as a pastor, I can tell you that this is true. I have found that when people are growing in grace, when they understand the gospel, they understand who God is and who they are and how God has saved them in Christ, when they know that and rejoice in that, and when they are growing in holiness and commitment to the mission, you generally don't need to preach sermons on giving. You generally don't need to prime the pump at offering time. Generally speaking, people who understand grace are eager to respond with generous giving. Where the heart is right and where motives of personal consecration are at work, finances generally are not a problem, Old Testament and new. We jump back into the story at verse 22. So they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart, brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. 
And everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns, or fine linen or goat's hair or tanned ram skins or goat skins brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution. And everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the work brought it. And every skillful woman spun with her hands. And they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair. And the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastpiece and spices and oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. The emphasis here is obviously on the universality of this project. R. Allen Coles is helpfully here all have a part in building the sanctuary for Yahweh. And without each playing his particular part, it cannot be completed. Here again is a message for us today, closed quote. I think that is exactly right. All have a part, both men and women. The men were bringing their talents. The women were using their talents. All the men and women, all the people of God, everyone whose heart moved them to participate in the work of of the Lord. That's a picture of a very healthy church. Church observers today often talk about how engagement is the true measure of church health over and above attendance. In a healthy church, a high percentage of the people are engaging. They are serving and giving. There will always be people who, for reasons of age or health or unusual life circumstances, cannot engage in these ways. But generally speaking, If people have understood the gospel, and if they are truly filled with the Spirit, and if they are growing in sanctification and consecration unto the Lord, then you will typically see very high levels of engagement. It really doesn't matter how many people attend your church. A bunch of people attending is just a crowd, but a bunch of people engaging is a congregation. And that's what we're seeing here. Thanks be to God. The story continues in verse 30. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood for work in every skilled craft. And he has inspired him to teach, both him and Oholiab, the son of Ahisamach of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver, or by a designer, or by an embroiderer, in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen, or by a weaver, by any sort of workman or skilled designer." So here we see that God has gifted and appointed particular leaders to oversee the building of the tabernacle. They will take the lead. They will use their gifts and they will teach and train others to use their gifts in a coordinated way. So while we are correct in noticing the theme of universality, that of course does not imply that this was a completely democratic process. 
Universal engagement does not necessarily mean universal authority, and it certainly doesn't mean the absence of authority. That would be chaos. There has to be coordination. There has to be oversight. And we see that as well in the New Testament. All Christians are gifted. All Christians are called to participate in the work. We're all called to serve. We're all equal in that sense. And yet still, the Lord appoints overseers. That is what the word bishop actually means. It is the Latin version of the Greek word episkopos, which literally means overseer. So epi there means over and above, and skopos means to see. The word is used interchangeably in the New Testament with the word presbyteros, which we translate as elder. So an elder is an overseer. Perhaps the best English word for what is being communicated in the New Testament would actually be the word superintendent. That's what an elder is. And that is what we are seeing in the story. Everyone has a role to play, but the Lord has provided certain individuals with the gifts and skills necessary to coordinate and oversee the project. Thanks be to God. And thank you for listening to End of the Word. If you're interested in additional resources or previous episodes and series, you can find those, of course, over at the website, www.endoftheword.ca. I hope you found our new app and are making good use of it. We're so excited about that. And we would love for you to make use of that. Download that. You can connect with us on Facebook. I hope that you do that too. You can connect there. We post daily encouragements and conversation starters, user reflections. Great way to get connected. Hope to see you there. And I hope to see you again real soon, right here, for another episode of Into the Word. <music>